Happy Monday. Welcome to another episode of the Sneak Preview, a Filmgasm Productions podcast that follows the current film calendar. I'm Connor Izagari. I'm Caleb Lejean. And today is a special day because today is a Marvel day. Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings is finally here, and what a badass movie it is. We will also discuss Netflix's new biographical drama, Worth, as well as what happened last week in film. Last week in film. First up, two trailers to discuss. We've got Red Notice, a crime comedy starring Dwayne Johnson, Ryan Reynolds, and Gal Gadot. It's Netflix November 12th, uh, directed by Rawson Marshall Thurber, who did uh, Dodgeball and Central Intelligence. Uh, you get to see this trailer? I did, actually. May, I was actually looking forward to this because I'd heard about it before because of the cast. So I was actually looking forward to the trailer, and I I think this could be good. Uh, you, you have, like, literally two of the most charming, funniest guys in Hollywood in The Rock and uh, Ryan Reynolds in a movie together mixed with, like, one of the, you know, most badass, gorgeous actresses in the mix. So I, I, I actually thought this one looked good. This would actually impress me for, like, being on Netflix. And I was like, okay, they might have something with this one. I hope so. I Ryan Reynolds is funny, but he is pretty one note i would i but you know again so is dwayne johnson <laughs> so and you know what so, gal gadot kind of is too <laughs> so i hope they play off of that if they don't i feel like this could misfire but i guess we'll see we'll find out i'm going, I'm going to try to be more open since yeah. <laughs> i have I gotcha. chainsaw massacre on netflix at some point in my future oh yeah oh we're gonna get to that <laughs> Um, next trailer, Belfast, an Irish uh, dramedy written and directed by Kenneth Branagh, starring Jamie Dornan, Judy Dench, Kieran Hines, comes out November 12th as well. Uh, this looks like purebred Oscar bait, <laughs> which is fine. I got no beef with Oscar bait. Uh, I just don't really know much else about this movie. It just kind of looks like, you know, an Irish dramedy about life in Ireland for the Irish. So, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, I didn't even know this trailer was out, much less this movie. So I got nothing. The last thing I saw with Irish was uh, this Irish vampire horror comedy called Boys from County Hell. Which, if anyone has Shutter, check that out. Really funny, really good movie. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, right on. Yeah, you were telling me about that. Mm -hmm. um, Kenneth Branagh's track record as a director is pretty good. Uh, I haven't watched his Shakespeare because I just don't, after Oscar Sunday's made me go there many times, I really don't give a fuck about Shakespeare adaptations anymore. Uh, but, you know, Thor was good. Murder on the Orient Express was all right. Death on the Nile looked pretty good, but because Army Hammer's a fucking creep, we may never get to see it. Uh, I, I do wonder what they're going to do with that movie because one, it's one thing when, like, the pandemic slows it down, but, like, Army Hammer, not only the whole, you know, allegations of um, sexual misconduct, but cannibalism and other crazy shit that followed with it. Like, holy yeah. God, like, how do you, what do you do with that movie now? 
I don't fucking know. I mean, do you like pull a Christopher Plummer and just like recast his one bit and like, you know, maybe like they did with Army of the Dead with Tig, just kind of CGI them into the scene? Maybe because I, you know, I'm so very much of that mind that you shouldn't bury these films, right? Like I'm very much with that. But like yeah. this is at the same time, this is a really weird fucking situation for him to be in. And the studio, like I, if I was like one of those, I don't know which studio is in charge of this movie. I forget. But if I was like the head of it, I'd be like, I'm sorry, what? What What the fuck did you just? <laughs> what? The Lone Ranger is a rapist and a fucking cannibal? Are you kidding me? <laughs> really? <laughs> I'd be scratching my head like, what the fuck do we do with this movie, guys? Like, <laughs> Army Hammer was such a promising up and comer, you know, he, they were talking about like he almost played Batman, like he was gonna be huge. He was he was on the cusp of being an, a serious A lister, and then all this shit came out. And like, if you're all right, if you're gonna be a cannibal, be a cannibal, but don't tweet it. <laughs> don't put that shit online when people can throw the DMs out and see how exactly fucking wacky you are. <laughs> That's on you. If you're gonna be a cannibal, you do that shit offline. I mean, look, preferably don't be a cannibal. I don't know why you would want to do that. That is also an option, but I'm just saying, if you are, odds are you're not gonna stop. So might as well do it the right way. You know, you know, you know what? If you and for those who don't want to get eaten by a cannibal, I read that supposedly if you're tatted up, it taints the meat. So my right arm is currently okay. My left arm's kind of fucked though. <laughs> Just out of curiosity, where the fuck were you when you read that? <laughs> That's not some shit that just pops up on the news. <laughs> Doesn't. What was that? I remember reading that. Oh, it was some weird thing on Facebook, and then I fact checked it, and supposedly it's a it's a legit theory that they have it's that if you have tattoos, it taints the meat of the human meat. Supposedly, like for me, it'd be like you remember those those uh, fruit roll ups that had like the tongue tattoos. Yeah, I feel like it'd be like that. Like I would want to eat, like, you know, the shapes. <laughs> I don't know. You're saying someone would eat my arm just to have the scary movie characters on them, like that. Some <laughs> psycho, <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> that place is. This this got to a weird place fast. <laughs> well, you have a known cannibal. I I don't. It, yeah, yeah. We do have to throw out alleged, alleged cannibal, alleged rapist. But I mean, come on, you don't get accused of that shit, look, like, like you know, lightly. I was like, look, when's the last time someone got accused of cannibalism? If you're getting accused of cannibalism, I—that's one of those that you probably did it. You probably fucking did it. To quote um, Dave Chappelle, probably fucking did it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, honestly, the only, I, I got like Jeffrey Dahmer and fucking Army Hammer. It's like, the only two I can think of. <laughs> yeah. If you're if you're suspected of cannibalism, if a lot of people think you are a cannibal, you're probably a cannibal. Much like if you paused in your you know speech about how you didn't do it, you probably did it. And again, it's all over Twitter. Like he was DMing girls about like I want to fucking like fry you up and you know what what the shit. I wonder if he tried to say it's like a sex thing. And I'm like, look, man, we are in, we're into our kinks because there's no sex thing that involves you telling some chick you're going to fry her up. 
and eat her like a chicken fried steak. Like, <laughs> oh my god, I is it wrong that I really want to see how this plays out? A movie or Army Hammer? Army Hammer. I want to see like where does this go next? I want to see the trial. I want to see the like the investigation. I want to see this. Like, I want the fall from grace story. Like, I really do. I, I this is to... not. This is unlike any other Me Too shit that's happened. This okay. is way darker. I, I want to see this one play out also, just because. Yeah, like you know, like in the wake of the Me Too movement, and anyone who has been, you know, I feel bad for any actual victims here. Yeah. But you know, we've been hearing a lot about to the point that it's like it's just something like I hear about, like, oh, okay. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not as shocked anymore because it's so many people are accused, come, you know, come to light, all that stuff. So when something like cannibalism gets thrown in the mix, it's like, oh, whoa. Did not see that one coming. Let's let's see how this one plays out, guys. Cause I was I wasn't expecting the cannibalism part to like play into this one. Well, and also I gotta say, I am personally curious to see where Army Hammer falls on the true debate of our time. Does he shower? Is he cleaning that meat first? <laughs> know, like he's living like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre lifestyle. He ain't showering with shit. Can you imagine if we found like we just they found Army Hammer in some like shack in Texas, surrounded by so many dead bodies. He introduces himself with like the large sliding fucking metal door. Just <laughs> he sits down at the table like this is Paul. This is this is my brother. Like he's, he's like he went. This was like preparation for a role that went way too fucking far. <laughs> he was getting ready for the chain. He was cast secretly in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and he was like getting into character, and he just never got out of character. <laughs> they had to pull the plug because he took it way too fucking seriously. <laughs> oh my god, this is so fucked up. <laughs> I, oh my god! All right, moving on. <laughs> Belfast comes out November twelfth. Um, the Expendables four has been greenlit. Uh, Sylvester Stallone, Jason Statham, Dolph Lundgren, and Randy Couture so far are returning. Uh, newcomers include Megan Fox, Fifty Cent, and Tony Jaa. Uh, release date is unknown. Uh, Tony Jaa, I get. Megan Fox and 50 Cent, I, I don't get. Well, 50 Cent is probably because I guess he got along with Stallone on Escape Plan. Um, so he's probably bringing him back as like some kind of consultant type. Megan Fox, I guarantee you she's going to be some kind of handler or some like snappy uh, CIA, FBI type of person. Yeah. They'll probably make some PC, but still very much of the time, you know, jokes, ha, 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 you know, women working jokes. Because it's a bunch of old dudes anyway. So. If this one is not rated R, I'm not seeing it. Yeah, I know a long time ago when the two, I remember the two biggest things I heard about this movie for the longest time was that Stone was adamant that it was going to be the final Expendables. So I guess he's like feeling a need to close off all his franchises. Rambo, Rocky, he's, I think he's finally realizing I can't do it anymore. He's done. So he's closing off franchises left and right. And apparently he was talking about making it rated R. And I wonder if that's maybe why it took so long to get the green light. Like he, if they were like fighting on it and he was like, no, it's an R rated film this time. 
The first two were R rated and they were successful, right? Yeah, it's actually the third one that was the least successful. And it was PG 13. There you go. Why do they fight them on this shit? I, I, don't, I don't understand because I'm like, look, you know, like, okay, PG 13, you get a wider audience, right? More people will see it. It's like, but that's not the people who are paying to see the Expendables love the 80s action movies and its stars. And those movies are rated R, so they want to see them in R-rated movies. So no, I don't want a PG-13 fucking Spendables. They're all these like new, fresh, young faces that no offense to I think Clint Eastwood was in it and some other fucking guys. You all look the same. You're all interchangeable. None of you stand out to me. Get the fuck out of my Expendables movie. Yeah, I said it. Did you say Clint Eastwood? Was it? Oh, not Clint Eastwood. His son, Scott Eastwood. I thought that's who you meant, but I'm like, I heard Clint I did say Clint. I did. You know what? Clint Eastwood. Join the Expendables 4. He would class it up, actually, somehow. He should be the fucking bad guy. That'd be awesome. I, I, I'd, I'd watch it. Has Clint Eastwood ever played a bad guy? Not that I know of. Not off the top of my head, no. Fuck, that's... I would love, like, you know, dirtier Harry. <laughs> Just evil Clint Eastwood. We've never seen that. That would be awesome. Dirty Harry, too. Dirty Harry. Yeah. Filthy Harry. <laughs> you know, uh, Scott Eastwood actually came to uh, my boat on the deployment. Really? Yeah. Cool. Uh, I did not get to meet him because it being the, the we, it was the 2020 COVID deployment, as I like to call it. COVID cruise, as we call it on the boat. Um, yeah. Uh, but he came on board and got shown around. And it, we remember we all laughed because he he had to go up to the bridge and wanted to talk to everyone, you know, talk to crew on the 1MC. Thing is, though, the bridge is way up on, like, the 09, like, the ninth level, way the fuck up there. And I, it, when he got on that 1MC, it sounded like the man did a marathon, and then he immediately grabbed that 1MC and started talking. He sounded so out of breath. And so I found out thinking, come on, Scott, that's a bad look. <laughs> you got you to, you're in shape, you're an actor, you got to sound like you're fucking... And up there all day. Expendables 3 is the only time in my entire life I have fallen asleep at the movies. Really? Yeah. I, I, I fell asleep meant like numerous times throughout, and I barely remember the movie. I just dude, remember this was so bad. It's not even, I, I'm, it's, it's putting me to sleep. Dude, I remember renting it off Netflix and like excitedly getting ready to watch it. Cause I love the first two movies. Yeah. And just sitting there in horror as I was just like, what the fuck is this? Like I said, it's like, I was like, why is this PG-13? Why is there a bunch of young, interchangeable action stars who, by the way, none of them have really done anything action-wise to be the next new action star to point out. Literally, we got Keanu Reeves back since that movie. That's what that's what happened. So once we came out, none of them became big action stars, but Keanu Reeves has come back and filled that gap. So there you go. And, and yeah, and then you had Mel Gibson who from what I have been told and might know, he doesn't really try in his goddamn movies anymore. He doesn't ever come in prepared with the lines or anything. So it's like, he's nothing to me when he's in the movie. Everyone gets like, oh my God, Mel Gibson. I'm like, yeah, maybe if it was back when it was like Mad Max, Lethal Weapon, Mel Gibson, Braveheart, Mel Gibson, when he gave a shit. But now knowing that the guy just kind of doesn't bother learning his lines, treats the crew members and other actors like shit. I could care less about when he's in a movie. Yeah, same. Not a trial for me anymore. 
No, I'm I'm hesitant with this part four. I I don't know. I feel like there's more action stars that they could, you know, go to for this, uh, or just you know maintain what they've been doing. And I really do hope it's rated R. If it's not, I'm 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 probably gonna give it a pass. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm ca- I'm going to be cautious. Um, it's still early from what I understand with this green light, so you know I'll give them time to try to get some more action stars into it. Um. Hopefully, rated R this time. Um, Megan Fox doesn't bother me. I've been I've been on board with the Megan Fox Renaissance that's been going on, so she doesn't bother me. I I don't care for her. Um, Disney has greenlit a Jungle Cruise sequel. Dwayne Johnson and Emily Blunt are both returning. Uh, this is kind of not surprising in the slightest. This was definitely going to happen. Uh, so we'll see. Hopefully, this one gets more of a chance to make some money. Yeah, I, I'm I'm happy. They were a great team, and I'm down to see more of them. Yeah, I think that Disney's Pirates of the Amazon franchise is going to be just fine. Yeah, they're going to get they, – they, they did it. They finally got their fucking post-Pirates theme park success movie, and they're going to fucking roll with it. Yes, they are. Uh, Fede Alvarez's new Texas Chainsaw Massacre film has been sold to Netflix. We talked a bit about this last week on Filmgasm. Uh, but I know you particularly are very upset with this news. Yes. Yeah, so I listened, you know, to y'all's last episode. I understand where Josh is coming from. And I did read the same article that Josh read. With that said, I am not just, I'm not judging the movie right off the bat. I'm going to still watch the damn movie because I've seen all the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. I'm a big fan of the franchise in general. But the reason I will, I'm so trepidatious is because where something like Hellraiser, yes, that's coming to Hulu, but that's been a straight-to-video series after, like, the fourth one. Like, it's been like that for over a decade now. Um, and, yes, you know, streamers have gotten better at content. Netflix has a quantity of <coughs> sorry, quantity of quality problem that I don't think they fixed yet. Um but with that good said, fact of the matter is, whenever a film starts out theatrical and a studio decides to go streamer or straight to DVD with one of the sequels, usually that's not always a good sign. Again, there's exceptions. I'm very rare of the Child's Play series and how good Curse and Colt ended up being. I'm very rare of that. But most of the time, that means the studio has not that much faith in the movie. It may not be that great. So they're like, oh, just kind of lost its point on a streamer. We'll just get the money off that. I agree with you. Pre-pandemic. These days, this may be the film's, you know, one of this might be the studio's only chance to really make some money off this now. True, but horror has been making money at the box office. I actually just looked up Candyman's already at the $50 million mark. That's true. But does Texas Chainsaw have the same franchise like money reliability that you know see and that's what i mean you know like admittedly the last couple of sequels have i think burnt people yeah. i mean you have 3d that no one likes it was heart garbage leatherface got to the point where we got like a weird direct tv time release and then put on vod so it's like you know the yeah the box office quality of this franchise has dipped but with that so has the quality of the movies like so that's why I'm scared. It's like, okay, yeah, you're right. Like they may not have had the box office straw 
pre-pandemic, even right now, right? But based off some of the last couple of films that haven't done too hard at the box office, or just kind of essentially went VOD, the quality in the film also that they weren't very good films. So again, I'm very trepidatious on this one. And also to do a lot with Eddie Alvarez recently. I mean, you know, he struck it with Evil Dead and the first Don't Breathe, but, you know, what he wrote and produced with Don't Breathe 2 was just not good. Um, I know he came in and said that the claims of uh, the bad test screenings were false, but were they? <laughs> like, yeah. Because he said that before Don't Breathe 2 and then look at that reception. I mean, it's almost like he's trying to save face. So it's like, there's a lot of factors that for me going into it, I'm looking in that like, I, and the fact that there's been no marketing is another big thing. There's been literally zero marketing for this film. It's supposed to come out this year, supposedly. Yeah, it's fucking so crazy. It's like, yeah, I just, I, I don't have a lot of hope. I'm still going to watch it and going over mine and I could be pleasantly surprised. My expectations are not that high. Well, maybe that's a good thing, you know, with, with all the, with the past, few films that this franchise has given us maybe low expectations will help <laughs> maybe so like i said i understand what Josh's coming from but this is where i'm coming from and i i still don't see it as a fully good sign you know Fair enough. um hulu's vacation friends which we talked about last week is getting a sequel titled honeymoon friends all four leads are returning so Oh, hell yeah. Friends. yeah, that movie was funny as shit. I'm 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 excited for this. Yeah, oh yeah, I'm down for that. Maybe it'll be really fucking funny. So <laughs> um, yeah. Awesome. Uh this was interesting. Didn't expect this. The 2016 action film The Accountant is getting a sequel with Ben Affleck and John Bernthal returning, as well as director Gavin O'Connor. So we're getting an accountant sequel. <laughs> I haven't even seen the first one yet, but I didn't know there was gonna be a sequel made. It's better than critics have said. I think that it, I, I liked it. I thought it was smart, great ensemble, cool idea. Uh, and Gavin O'Connor's a really good filmmaker. I, like, I love, I fucking love Warrior. So I think, uh, you, I think you'd like it. I will say, I did like Warrior a lot. And I, yeah, I've been meaning to give it a chance. I'll see what comes out. I'll, I'll check it out. Sweet. Yeah, he was on, Gavin O'Connor was on a podcast. They asked him about, another movie he had done like are we getting a sequel to that and he's like no but i we are doing an accountant too and he's like what so yeah kind of unceremonious but that's you know nobody nobody gives a fuck anymore about standing on ceremony <laughs> that's dead <laughs> um bad news venom let there be carnage is rated pg-13 <laughs> bad news but i was expecting it I was I'll, really hoping that with Carnage they were gonna they were gonna do it, but nope. Yeah, I'll I'll say this much: I haven't heard about a lot of the issues, um, like there shouldn't be Venom when they were saying at first Venom was gonna be rated R, but then it came out PG thirteen, and the film kind of showed that they clearly filmed an R rated film that had to confirm to PG thirteen. When some of the deaths were oddly like edited in a way that you didn't see the full thing, I, I picked up on that. Yeah. Um, if I'll say this: if they if they gave Andy Circus the heads up and the knowledge that like, hey, you're making a PG-13 movie, okay, because then that means he filmed a PG-13 movie, and it will feel fine. I so I 
I have hope there that they actually gave him a heads up this time. So I have like this weird, we might give you the R rating, but oh no, we're going to make it PG-13. Edit it down to PG-13, please. But this is carnage. This is like one of the most vicious, cold-blooded psychopaths in Marvel's catalog. And I, I was really hoping we get to see him unleashed. But I feel like we're going to get a watered-down version now. Yeah, we are. But I mean, like... Also, like they have, they they've let the cow in the back that they're really intending to put this character into the MCU, Spider-Man stuff. So, it, at yeah. this point, PG thirteen Venom is the best we're going to get. Like, if it wasn't in Sony's hands, if it was in our studio's hands, maybe we'd finally get the R-rated Venom in Carnage. But I don't ever see it happening. Well, whatever. At least we're gonna get the fucking movie. Yeah, uh, hacking down on like some company. I'm sure we'll talk about here soon. Right now, actually. Paramount has pushed both Top Gun Maverick and Jackass Forever to 2022 due to fears of the Delta variant. And it's the only studio that is still freaking out about it. Everybody else is like, we'll bite the bullet and take the loss if it happens. Uh, So here we are. (laughs) I still feel so hot about this, honestly, because... To me, they're to me, it's the studio. When the studio says it's because of the Delta, I don't believe the studio. I doubt they care that much about people. I, I'm like, they're not, they're not caring about our fucking well-being. They're, they're caring about their financial asset. And Paramount's the only one that seems to care so much about it. Um, yeah. And like, it just bugs me in the sense that, like, look, you know, again, Candyman, twenty-five million dollar budget. It's made over about fifty-three million now. The strong she will be talking about today. It's ten million shy of its budget already on Labor Day weekend, so it's going to make it. Yeah. So the no the money the people will go. You have to make a good movie, and people have to like your movie and want to go see it. So and not only that, but it's like Paramount. You have Paramount Plus. You have a streaming service. We work your fucking contracts, like HBO did, or sorry, Warner Brothers did. So that they do what they do, where it comes on both HBO Max and theaters, and you could. The same thing in Paramount Plus. Why boost the fucking subscription base on Paramount Plus? Yeah, big time. I don't know why they haven't thought of that. Um, but to keep delaying it to me is the wrong thing to do because, like, again, I think I don't know for you, but Jackass played before Sean Chief for some reason. Um, with no, the- no, I didn't get. I got all. I got Eternals, Spider Man, and um, uh, I don't remember the other one. But no, I didn't get Jackass. Yeah, for some reason, I got Jackass, and it was the trailer said October 22nd. Mm. And yeah, I don't know why they didn't just trade that out for Spider Man, but whatever. Um, but I'm like, see, this is what you're going to do, right? And again, people reacted, the audience, a lot of people were laughing, people really reacted to that trailer. I'm like, see, you're, what you're going to do, because you can't look at any other option other than, like I said, count your losses, get the money on the back end, maybe pair it up with Paramount Plus, make it a same day release. If you keep pushing it back, all you're successfully pulling off is an audience that's going to forget your fucking movie. Because they're going to get excited for that date that's been advertised for every goddamn movie they've seen. And now they're going to be like, well, wait, October 22nd, where's Jackass? That's when that's what it's been advertised for. Because most most average film-going audiences do not keep track of release dates. True. True. So it's like... The October 22nd is going to hit, and they'll be like, wait, what happened to Jackass? This is not coming out. And then February is going to hit. It finally comes out, and they'll what? Forget about it? 
in one to two months known f- to be the dumping ground of fucking movies. And just ah, oh, Paramount's pissing me off. They, I, I can't believe I'm saying this, but I actually kind of wish someone else fucking bought Paramount or they had a new person in charge of their fucking movies. Yeah, it's a terrible business decision, and it's gonna fuck up, uh, you know, the wallets. Top Gun 2 already has such a, you know, I feel like Top Gun's audience is uh, not as huge as they seem to think. It's, and then Jackass also is, it's going to, I feel like, you know, people are going to forget it's coming out. And then when it does come out, they're going to be like, oh yeah, I remember that. But it's going to, it's going to lose a big chunk of uh, possibilities. And I just, uh, I don't know. Now, we, at least we don't have to worry about it this year. I, I really didn't want to see Top Gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't. Uh, I didn't want to see Top Gun, but it. I don't know. It's fresh. I think. I think Jackass won't do as well. Maybe it might because it's it's February. There may not be much else. So again, they have to do a good marketing campaign because it only has to beat ten million on its budget. So you know, um, but like Top Gun, no, the audience is not there. And I wonder if like the money gets higher the more they delay these movies and hold on to them. Um, I don't know. I don't know, but. I don't think the audience for Top Gun's there and Mission Impossible at this point, I don't know when the fuck it's coming out. I actually have liked the last like three movies, but I I can't tell you now anymore when Mission Impossible 7 is coming out. I, I keep honestly expecting Tom Cruise to die in some psycho crazy stunt on the set of one of these movies. I mean, at this point, the investors, like, you know, the, the money has got to be just, you know, shit in their pants every time he gets behind the wheel of a motorcycle and drives off a goddamn cliff which is apparently what he does in this new one god yeah it's just yeah he's going to yell at people about covid on set or whatever i remember reading about that his reaction i remember that yeah uh he's i think we can all agree tom cruise is kind of a piece of shit Oh, he's a major piece of shit. But I've told you my reasons. You, I, I sent you that text one day about how he treated service members when he was filming uh, Top Gun 2. Yeah, and I'm just going by, you know, the fact that he's second in command of a giant world-spanning cult. That's a big one. Uh, that, that, you know what? That's number one. I'll give you that. That's number one. I just feel personal on the military one because I'm like, don't treat people who have done more for the pandemic than you've done, Mr. Cruz, that way. Don't you fucking treat people like that. Especially ones that were sacrificing way more. Oh, God, you got to go make a fucking movie and then go back to your mansion. Whew. That's tough. <laughs> yeah. This is the uh, this is the landscape now. We're kind of, you know, we're, I thought we were going to be fine, but here we are still up in the air about fucking everything. I, I think we're fine minus Paramount because everyone else is sticking. Um you know, like I said, I know there was a scare at Venom, but they were like, their new poster was very adamant of like, nope, October 15th, we're not budging. Halloween, a lot of people are saying that um, they're expecting Halloween Kills to make really good money at the box office. That's expected to be doing some monster business. I think a lot of people but Paramount are not worried. because so I think they're just saying, they're doing exactly that. They're just saying, look, we can't move it. We'll just bite the bullet. And as we're seeing, like, the ones that people like are making money. Like, they're not flopping. Like, the movies that people like are making money. Yeah, but they're not making, you know, as Lone Star once said, a shitload of money. <laughs> no, but it's enough in some cases to warrant a sequel that can make a shitload of money by the time it comes out. 
yeah, we got to do what we got to do. Um, so that's all that happened last week in film. Uh, before we get into Shang-Chi, let's talk worth. Uh, Netflix film, we get them all the time. Uh, this was a biopic about uh, attorney Ken Feinberg, who was charged with developing the 9-11 Victims Compensation Fund after the 9-11 terrorist attacks. And uh, what a job that was, putting a monetary value to the lives of the victims. Uh, I don't know how one does that. His approach was cold as shit and really pissed off a lot of people. It turns out people are different. Who knew? <laughs> turns out people aren't worth the monetary value. But I thought the film was very good, uh, very sad, but I expected that. Uh, how about you? I know this isn't your usual kind of uh, cinematic experience. Nope, not usually, but I said, uh, like many, I have a four-day weekend because of Labor Day, and since Shang-Chi was the only major release coming out, I was like, yeah, I got time. Um, so I watched it, and I actually actually really impressed with the movie. Um, I like how it could, one minute, make you fucking angry, like just and make you angry, yeah, but then make you really sad the next. And because, um, like, that whole beginning when they're talking about, like, how to come up with something not because they want to give people that have suffered that have lost someone in a very horrific incident that you know rocked all of america when it happened i mean it, we're now we're almost 20 years removed this month um from it and you know it's still for a lot of people fresh you know people lost loved ones that day and for the account these higher ups to just say let's come up with something so they don't sue the airlines like and, and fresh off it, not even like, like literally month, a month or two after it happened, they're coming up with that. And I'm like, it, I remember just getting mad, like really that, you know, not the firefighters who bravely went in there to get who they could out and died. Not the people on the planes that died, the people stuck in those towers who just care about the fact that you don't want your precious airlines to get sued. And just to see that journey of like, this lawyer who, like I said, he was going for a cold approach and very much like, no, how, you know, based off this salary and Rob Bonds, like him to finally realize like these weren't just numbers. These weren't just figures. These were actual people. That, it, it took him so, so long to come to that conclusion though. It did, it did take a long time. Um, but I mean, the fact that he came to it and in that way came up with a lot of good funds after that. Um, when they showed like the list of like, Basically, this guy's been like the in charge of every national like major disaster and making sure that people get compensated. So, I mean, luckily something good came out of it. It did take a while, but yeah, like this, I ended up rocking me really happy uh, with this movie. Really impressed. Performances were great between Keane and Stanley Tucci. Yeah, big, big Michael Keaton fan. And ever since Birdman, I'm so glad he's had this career resurgence. It's been great. Um, yeah, it was upsetting, you know, with the uh, the lobbies trying to, you know, to say, you know, give us the bulk of the fund or nobody gets anything. Like, fuck you guys so much. Right. Jesus give, Christ. Give these CFOs the money, but not some guy that's a dishwasher. Like, what? It doesn't matter. That guy lost, you know, a brother, a son, someone that day. 
yeah, unbelievable. And that one attorney who was just like, you know, sign the deal, you know, just do it. Like, fuck that guy so much. I love when he just takes apart the pen and just pours the ink on the contract and walks away. Yes. <laughs> oh, one of my favorite scenes was uh, when Stanley Tucci goes to Kane's office to talk to him. And he asked him, he's like, well, what's my wife worth? And then he goes off on him in his office. And he's just like, no, because you're doing this on a wrong way. You need to fix this fund. Really just like between those two powerhouse actors, beautiful fucking scene. Yeah. Very, yeah. Uh, this is on Netflix. It's getting really good reviews. Uh, it's got about a 78% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is pretty high for Netflix. Uh, I recommend checking this out. It's emotional, but it's important. It's a story worth telling. And I remember when I saw the trailer, I thought, like, does this need a movie? Yeah, it does. Yeah. And yeah. And it also, it kind of reminds you of some stuff. You know, uh, one thing it reminded me of that made me go, like, wow, it wasn't really that long ago that we came a long way with this in America. But, uh, you know, the treatment of the gay community, the LGBTQ plus, I believe, what they're called now, uh, yeah. come after me. I know they change the name a lot. Um, and, you know, it, when uh, that one guy came in and said his boyfriend um, was killed in the attack and that he was estranged from his parents because they wanted to accept his lifestyle and when like and all that stuff and they were trying to get the money to him. I remember I got so mad when like she went to the, the, the parents' house and they you just see the dad seething and like the mom just it's like built up this fantasy land of how he's just this guy that keeps coming over and bugging him. And no, our son has had all these ladies. And then at the end, when she had to call him and say, like, hey, you know, because of you, other people in your situation are getting that money, like they're getting looked at and things are changing for them. But unfortunately, we couldn't get you the money. They're his parents have really good lawyers and fought it and got it from me. And I, oh, I, it, it made me mad. And like I said, it made me think like, wow, it wasn't that long ago that we were still, the community, the LGBTQ plus community was still having to fight things like that in 2001. Yeah. We've always been kind of on, you know, the slow side of progress in this country, as much as we'd like to think we're not. Uh, and this, yeah, this film brought that a bit to light. And it showed just, you know, the wide variety of people who were destroyed by this. Mm-hmm. And the whole idea of like, you know, is the, for me, the hardest scene to watch was when Feinberg is giving the speech about the, the formula to the people. And they're asking him questions like, why is a CEO's life worth more than my daughter's and shit like that? And he, he can't, he doesn't know. He can't. He gets flustered and he's trying to explain numbers to these people. And these people are not looking for numbers. They're looking for justice. They're looking for dignity. They want you to acknowledge their, you know, the victim's names for fuck's sake. And it was, uh, it's, you know, it was rough, He did, but he did turn something that could have been just completely devoid of humanity. And he turned it into something that helped a lot of people. And yeah. that's something to be proud of. Yeah. And that's why I say like, you know, at least at the end, you, you walk away happy overall. There's, like I said, other than that, you know, one unfortunate circumstance with that, you know, that poor man, you walk away happy because he turned something into that, like I said, it could have been this inhuman, just you don't give a shit about people type of fun into something that actually looks out for people and has been used now since multiple times for um, disasters that have happened. Yeah. Really... F- 
fucked me up how many disasters just that were mentioned there. And like a lot of them I had, I regrettably had forgotten about because yeah. there's so much tragedy in this country just day by day. Well, and you know, I was just, I was thinking about while I was watching it. Um, I don't know just cause I'm in the military myself or what, but I remember watching thinking, you know, this is really weird kind of watching this. Not just because one, we're, like I said, we're coming up on the 20 years since it happened. But also, if anyone keeps up with the news, what's going on in Afghanistan? I mean, we pulled all the troops out and, you know, unfortunately, because the Taliban took over. And unfortunately, 13 people lost their lives in, the, in a bombing at the Kabul. I'm so sorry if I'm butchering the name there. Uh, airport. And, you know, that that attack why we're trying them out was because of what happened in this movie of the, the inciting incident in this movie. So it's, it's, I don't know. It was really weird watching it too with that, knowing what's, what has very recently, I think like a week ago now with what has happened recently in Afghanistan, Kabul airport. Yeah. The ripple effect of nine 11 was ridiculously devastating to the world. Uh, and it's something we'll never, you know, we'll always feel the, the effects of this. This was just America's darkest day. And films like this show you, you know, the economic side of loss, which you don't really think about. And uh, it was just a very interesting way to tell a piece of the 9-11 story I never really thought about. Yeah, it yeah, it's not because you know I think was it like right after nine eleven happened we had the wake of films that very much explored that human aspect and like what what life was like for a lot of people afterwards, mm-hmm. um, and obviously the the films like World Trade Center and stuff with the firefighters a lot of that those types of movies came out constantly but not one like this that explored this fun that I didn't even really know that much about. Yeah, I remember the only kind of fun I knew about was when um John Stewart went to the you know New York people and like made a really good speech at uh i think the new york's congress whatever um i just remember watching the youtube video on it and uh i didn't really know anything about this and i, I learned a great deal and it, like yeah it was like you said it's a very interesting way it was looking at it from an economic way and asking the universe questions like you know what is human life worth yeah i give the film an eight it's a very strong biopic with a lot of strong performances and a very interesting uh, take on this story. Yeah, I gave it an eight as well, uh, pretty much for the same reasons. With that, let's let's dig into Shang Chi. It's Marvel time. Uh, yeah, so Shang Chi's not exactly, you know, he's not Captain America. He's not Spider Man. He's not an A list superhero. He's not. A lot of people didn't know who he was, myself included. And I had to do some, you know, re- some research, find out who this guy was. And Shang-Chi first appeared in 1973 in special Marvel edition number 15. Later had his own series called Master of Kung Fu. He was created by Steve Englehart and drawn by Jim Starlin. And now that Marvel has achieved, you know, ridiculous levels of success with Avengers Endgame and Guardians of the Galaxy and Black Panther and these billion dollar grocers, they can pretty much experiment with whatever the fuck they want at this point. So they're bringing back some lesser known comics and retooling them for the 21st century and bringing them into this wide world of superheroes they've created. Shang-Chi is the latest of these with the Eternals set to join him in November. And Shang-Chi 
and the Legend of the Ten Rings was directed by Destin Daniel Cretton, whose previous directing credits include Short Term 12 and Just Mercy. And he did a great job. This movie is fucking awesome, especially the well-directed fight scenes. My God. Dude, like, you, you know me. I love me some good martial arts stuff. I, you know, champion the raid since it's since I've seen it. Big fan of John Wick. I think pretty much everyone on the team is. And yeah, dear God, did he bring it with these fight scenes. Like, from, like, the bus all the way to the end. Like, it was... There are different, there are unique, there are kick-ass. Like, I, I will, I'll say it right now, these are probably some of the best fight scenes in the MCU, in the entirety of the MCU, hands down to me. Fuck yeah. We're going to kind of just not really do that bit to, at the end of the cast list where we discuss. We're just kind of, we're just going to, from now on, just kind of discuss throughout, because that's what we've been doing anyway. That is what we've been doing. Yeah. All yeah. right. And but, I just uh, want to point out that my, my favorite scene, spoiler, by the way, spoiler alert, every time. Forever. <laughs> and do not listen to our Marvel episodes if you haven't seen the movie yet. Yeah. You should be aware. I mean, it would be ridiculous if we would do these episodes without talking about the big moments of the movie. What would this be? Like, this is certainly a movie. Of all the movies in 2021, this is certainly one of them. That's what it would be. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> anyway, my favorite scene by far is the fight on the bus. When... You know, Shang-Chi and Katie are just hanging out and some guy makes a grab for the necklace and all of a sudden, you know, Sean is gone and the master of Kung Fu is back and the music kicks in and you're just like, oh shit. <laughs> and he kicks these guys' asses. It was so cool. And I love Katie's like, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> I loved her and the guy that was recording it the whole time. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's your boy. The fucking the Instagram guy. That was so good. <laughs> it, dude, I, as soon as I saw that scene, I was like, oh my God, yes. Like, I mean, look, obviously this is not going to be the bone crunching R-rated stuff that we get in John Rick of the Raid or like Night Comes for Us or something like that. But God damn, they still do some kick ass shit in this bus fight scene for PG-13. Like I, when he's hopping out of the bus and he's outside it trying to not fucking lose grip or anything like oh dude when he uses the chick's laptop <laughs> her dissertation <laughs> no oh yeah i love the um i love when the bus driver gets knocked out so katie takes over and like <laughs> it's like an accident with the garbage truck and leans into him and she's like we made a good team and he's like horrified <laughs> just stuns uh Aquafina, I know she, I know like her comedy is like hit and miss for some people, but she cracks me the fuck up and she was yeah. so fucking good in this movie. Straight up. I love the, you know, the, the comedy, what never felt forced. It was in the right moments, which was great. And it was really dramatic when it needed well, to be. Like the tone was perfect. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing, right? Like so many people, like I see it a lot. People will really bitch about how quippy and funny Marvel movies are, and I'm like, look, it's the, I think Shang-Chi is, what, the 25th, 26th? I'm losing track. Um, I'll find out. Keep going. Okay. But, uh, you know, it's 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 phase three, for Christ's sakes. Like, we've gone through two whole phases of film. It's a phase uh, four. It's phase four. I'm sorry, phase four. We've gone through three whole phases. See, I'm getting fucking lost. It's been... <laughs> but, you know, we've gone through four, three fucking phases. 
if you're not on board with Marvel being the creepy, funny superhero like shenanigans, then why are you still watching these movies? Yeah. Just stop bitching. Like, look, I go in knowing they're going to be like quippy and funny, and that's just their thing. And it doesn't bother me because I know that that's just their style. Any franchise you watch is going to have a template they're going to follow to a T all the time. James Bond, Friday 13th, MCU, Godzilla, any goddamn franchise is just going to have a template. This is so, this is the 25th Marvel film. Uh, which is fucking amazing. Any franchise makes it to three films is considered a success. 25 is amazing. And to still be going strong, still making money, still be exciting. That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I try to get the, the finding out way. Cause the reviews I've seen have some people are pointing out. I'm like, what, what did you expect? Like (laughs) you're watching an MCU movie. (laughs) All 25 of these movies have had a good balance of action and humor. And if you can't get on board with that, it's your problem at this point. <laughs> yeah, stop watching the movies then. Yeah. Let people enjoy things. Jesus Christ. Um, Chinese-Canadian actor Simu Liu plays Shang-Chi, master of kung fu. Uh, Liu stars in the sitcom Kim's Convenience and has had bit parts in various shows. This is fucking huge for him. Um. He actually tweeted Marvel years earlier about wanting to star in Shang-Chi, kind of jokingly, like, hey, let's make this happen. And uh, Feige gave him a meeting, and he became Shang-Chi. <laughs> I love how, like, Feige, Feige's apparently not awareness of jokes has, like, given us some really good shit. <laughs> like, he made a joke, and Feige looked at that went, well, wait a minute. Are you being serious? Because we can still have a meeting. But I, I love that Feige, he's not your average producer. You know, he's not he's not the same as the rest of these assholes. He actually does care about the story. He does the right, you know, he, he wants everything to work. He cares about these characters because he's a fan who just happens to be in charge of all this shit now. And I, that's the reason this has all worked. Yeah, well, to me, like, you can say that with, like, some of, like, the horror, like, the people over at Blumhouse, some of the horror producer guys at Blumhouse, like, they're fans that wanted to make horror movies, right? And because of it, like, obviously, other than, like, the occasional crap they do, for the most part, they have a really good track record. Um, same with Feige. I mean, it's, to me, it's evident of what, like, I hope the, the future of producers will be, and not just guys that do it because it makes some money, but they don't understand a goddamn thing about movies, and give people like Adam Green dumbass notes on an Aquaman script saying, can you get rid of the water? <laughs> uh, <laughs> retarded. Um, hopefully, hopefully, people like Feige are the future of producers, and we start getting fans that obviously know a thing or two about movies, but also like really want to see this stuff on the big screen and what it can do. <laughs> I love and, your Jurassic Park script, but can we get rid of the dinosaurs? <laughs> can we uh, can we put this on uh, Netflix and make it a fake movie? <laughs> oh God! Oh yeah, we I didn't even bring a, that up in last week's film. It was gonna piss us off too much. I had to. I had to. It made me. I'm still angry about it. I'm so so fucking livid about it. Oh. Yeah. For those of you who aren't aware, um, Wonder Woman director Patty Jenkins recently came out and said that films that are produced by streaming companies like Netflix and Hulu and Prime aren't real films because she's never heard of them. 
which is, yeah, I didn't realize that all films had to pass the Patty Jenkins test in order to be successful. Who knew? You know what? I remember I was like, maybe it's out of context. Uh, one of the, on Postmortem, um, Mick Garris' producer, Joe Russo, not to be confused with the Russo brothers, just similar last name. Mm-hmm. Um, he tweeted it, tweeted that and said, he actually put in, let me see context before I get angry. And he retweeted and goes, well, I've gotten the context and I'm so angry. He goes, she's really putting down a lot of people who have made like a beginning in film and money off streamers. And one guy pointed out, and I remember I texted because one guy pointed out, he goes, you know, that she's people like her and Scorsese and them seem to have this real beef with streamers, but look at who they've produced. And if you notice, they don't try to get any new talent. I was like, Spielberg, he's bitched about Netflix, but I don't see him really producing a lot of hot, young, new talent in Hollywood. The streamers are, though. The streamers are giving those new people a chance to get their stuff on a platform and out there and get their voice heard. So, yeah, fuck her. Yeah, streaming seems to be fine for, you know, like Scorsese went, you know, he did The Irishman. You know, Alfonso Cuaron, uh, Noah Baumbach. Like, these are highly accomplished, award-winning filmmakers. And they don't seem to have a problem with these streamers. If anything, yeah. it's a great it's a great way to get your work to so many more people. Yeah, and I think Still that Patty him. Jenkins doesn't have the clout to be saying this shit anyway. She's like Wonder no. Woman worked, but Wonder Woman two sucked. Yeah, and, yeah. Like, what clout do you have? Like your first movie did great, but your second movie was it your your fault or the studio or something? You didn't know how to say no. And not only that, you talk about how detrimental. It was that I got put on HBO Max. I remember she made a big deal about that. She's like, oh, it's just so detrimental that I got put on there. And I'm like, you do realize that it, because it got put on HBO Max during the height of the pandemic, I want to point this out, people. Height of pandemic. Theaters were so mostly closed. HBO Max is putting it on the surface is why she got it. Wonder Woman 3 greenlit. Not because of its box office. Box office had nothing to do with it. It was because it was so successful on HBO Max that they gave, said you can do Wonder Woman 3. So how the fuck is that detrimental? Oh, and also, you know, I watched Wonder Woman 1984 at home, but if I had seen it at the movies, it still would have sucked. Yeah. <laughs> now, it's to a point where, like, I know, like, me personally, the upcoming Dune, between Dune, like, her and Villeneuve, I'm like, guess what, buddy? I'm not watching your fucking Dune movie in theaters. I will gladly watch it on HBO Max just to piss you off. I am going to bring up HBO Max on my phone and watch it right up to my face just to piss him off. I feel like at the very least, it'll give him like a leg cramp or something. (laughs) You know what? That's actually perfect because I got this fucking, those Onyx scripts for my phone finally. So now I have the, I can just twist it to my liking. I don't know. (laughs) I just don't these people realize that they're basically, you know, on the wrong side of film history, that what they're spouting is nonsense. And they aren't they don't understand that streaming has been the way of the future for a long time now. Yeah, it's like, look, as as sad as I am to see like theaters not be what they used to be. I can't stop it. Like streamers are becoming like one of the biggest viable ways for people to watch movies. And maybe the biggest like now i mean yeah probably now yeah and i don't you know what honestly like as much as i love theaters i don't blame them 
think about it. You watch at home. You're not dealing with some jackass on his phone or being loud or making out in the seat behind you. If he wants, I, I, apparently Josh had that. Yeah, someone had that issue on the team. <laughs> <laughs> Kidding. But, uh, you know, like you don't have to deal with that, right? Or the person that brings her fucking baby to the R-rated movie that always pisses me off. Yeah. You know, you don't deal with that. You can just play it at home in the comfort and peace of your home. You can pause it if you have to go take a piss break. So I know there's been times where I'm sitting there in a movie like, fucking in, fucking in, come on. Yeah, I mean, the theaters are a fun experience, but you got to accept the fact that, you know, things are changing. And if you can't get on board with that, maybe you don't belong in this industry. Yeah, because I'm sorry, if you're going to sit there and down, people that are big now that have been able to get their star on the streamers, you're, you're an asshole. It's all yeah. you are. You're an asshole. Mm-hmm. Don't put down artists who are trying to, you know, make something. Yeah, I, that's that makes you an asshole. Exactly. Considering it's ten times harder for a lot of these newcomers to get a big studio to finance their film compared to Hulu, Amazon, Netflix, uh, you know, Peacock stepping their fucking thing in nowadays. Paramount Plus, uh, Shutter, right? They're probably a lot easier to talk to and get young people fresh starts so that's why they go to them that's why they make shit for them first yeah <sighs> well it needed to be said <laughs> um i feel good uh, now yeah. aquafina plays <laughs> katie <laughs> uh shang's best friend she's been in oceans eight the farewell crazy rich asians raya and the last dragon jumanji the next level as well as her TV series, Aquafina is Nora from Queens. Um, her star rose incredibly fast. She has been in some big productions, and uh, she's gonna. She's definitely, you know, part of the next wave of A-listers. And she's fucking hilarious in this. Uh, and I also really, I, I love that they didn't force a relationship. All right, dude. That you know, we're we're talking about, and we'll we'll get into it because I would. I actually really want to talk about like the excellent representation in this film. And, uh, you know, obviously Hollywood having to really come to terms with that, they have to start having diversity and representation in films. It cannot just be straight white male every goddamn movie. Um, another trope that I'm glad to, that Marvel and some other films have been, you know, this movie and other films have been doing is just because a man and a woman are friends does not mean they have to be fucking love interests because goddamn it, we're adults and you can be friends with someone of the opposite gender for our young listeners out there, I know it seems weird now because you're young and going to puberty. But when you get older, you can be friends with the opposite gender and just be friends. And yeah, to, yeah, to see that here in Shang-Chi was like, oh my God, thank you. You're mm-hmm. not going to force a relationship. They're just friends. Yeah. The most unrealistic thing about this movie is the fact that she learned how to be an expert marksman in about a day. Yeah. <laughs> not even... I even like, cause I, I got scared for a second when they were at her grandma and uh, grandma's house and her grandma was like, when are you two going married? And he's like, Oh, we're just friends. I was like, Oh God damn it. Cause mm-hmm. I thought that was like Marvel's way of being like, they're going to get together. And then, nope. He really meant it. No, we're no, we do not do each other like that. We are just friends. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's interesting that she's kind of going to be in, you know, accompanying him on his avengers journey it seems yeah i i honestly i'm down for it because like i said she really i personally find her hilarious i really liked her in jumanji the next level um and 
I thought she was funny in this. So, hey, more Aquafina in the MCU. I'm down. I'm sure she's down. Yeah. I mean, you know, these days, if you're going to lead one of these films, it's not a one and done. You're signing like, you know, five, six, seven film contracts. And uh, I'm excited to see where these two end up. Yeah. yeah I'm really out of that post credit stinger or technically mid credits for this one. Mid credit stinger. I'm really excited whether, uh, Will there be come either the next Avengers film, Shang-Chi 2, whatever we get next? Because, you know, Marvel's playing real close to the chest this time around, which I like. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, he's definitely going to be an Avenger, just not for a while. Because Avengers yeah, 5 is going to take a while. I'm saying whichever one we see first. Yeah. I'm assuming, assuming Shang-Chi 2, but I don't know. I think he's going to pop up in Doctor Strange 2. Because of his connection with Wong. Oh yeah, that was another. I was. I remember. I actually kind of got mad at first. I, I mentioned earlier, so when they had Wong in the trailer, I was mm-hmm. like, "God damn it, leave that as a surprise for me." And then, like, they did the scene, which I thought was funny. Which I'm, I want to know why Abomination was all of a sudden helping Wong throw fights. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, then Wong comes back, and I was like, "Oh shit." I was like, is and then yeah, like you said, I was like, are they going to be a Doctor Strange? Like, what, what does this mean? Because Wong grabbed him. I did like that scene when he just comes in. Shang-Chi <laughs> in the San Francisco fucking restaurant. He's just like, here. <laughs> <laughs> it was, yeah, I was I was a bit disappointed in you know Abomination's cameo because it's basically just the trailer scene. That was it. Yeah. Uh, I was like, why bring back Tim Roth if this is all you're going to do? Yeah, I thought like this was like going to give us like something like, oh shit, like Abomination might be in a future movie. Like it's a setup. And then I was like, no, just again, letting us know that Incredible Hulk is canon. Don't worry, guys. <laughs> Somehow Abomination ended up in Macau doing cage fights with Doctor Strange's sidekick. I don't know how that happened, but I would love a, I would love like a one shot telling that story. I, I would too. Because like as a comic, it it's fine. Comics do that shit all the time, so I, I'm willing to accept it. But I'm like, even I was like, how did we get here? I mean, there's an Avengers comic out there that has the fucking Justice League accepting like the key to the city in the background of a panel. Because <laughs> the same artists used to work on all the different companies' work, so they would hide little nods to the, each other's work in there. It's cool. The comics have never been as super hardcore competitive as the fucking film companies have been. <laughs> That's because for some reason Warner Bros, as I like to refer to them as. Warner Bros. Warner Bros. They won't be brothers. They need to get their shit together on the DC side. And honestly, there are other franchises that they feel they need to keep bringing back that we don't need, like Fantastic Beasts. But... Do you know that in the some point in the 20th century, uh, Marvel nearly went bankrupt and DC had an opportunity to buy the company? I think I read about that. Wasn't it in like the 80s or 90s, something like that? They didn't do it. I think like they said, you know, the characters aren't as iconic and wouldn't sell or something like that, which is fucking beautiful if that is what they said. If that is what they said and they, they are getting their asses whooped at the box office. <laughs> 
It always makes me think of fucking Obadiah Stane and Iron Man, you know? Tony Stark was able to build this in a cave. Like, I think of that every time this happens. <laughs> oh, my God. It's like, uh, it's like when, uh, what's it called? Blockbuster was offered to buy Netflix and they said, no, he would want to get movies delivered to them at home. Like, that was their response. Oh, <laughs> Oh my god. Not only did they go out of business, Netflix to rub it in on the streaming side was like, let's come out with a documentary called The Last Blockbuster. That's like digging up your enemy's corpse just to piss in their skull. <laughs> like you already won the war. <laughs> Do you need to make a further point? <laughs> You think they wouldn't have done that if Blockbuster didn't try to do their own uh, mail service? Because now Blockbuster tried to do it. You think Netflix would have been fine with the moment Blockbuster tried to do that? They're like, you just fucking wait. When you guys think it's over, we'll fucking be there. (laughs) I remember the fucking blue and yellow envelope. See, we can do it too. We're hip. We got it. Were they still charging late fees? Because that would be beautiful. Probably, they probably were. <laughs> What's funny is that they were doing that as they were also having to advertise that their stores were closing. So I remember like seeing that, but then being like, hey, do you want to go get some DVDs at the soon-to-be-closed Blockbuster? Oh, I was yeah, I was cleaning those places out. You know, it was like five five movies for 10 bucks or some shit. I was Dude, yeah, I didn't even care. Free. Like I, I hate I hate this movie, but it's cheap. You could buy a whole fucking like genre in that store and how cheap they were selling that shit. <laughs> And that like shitty cotton candy in a bag stuff. Remember, remember that? <laughs> I remember, dude, you used to be able to like rent the movies, right? And they had like the cotton candy, the candy, sodas, they had all this shit for you to get. So if you were going in on a Friday night trying to get the fucking new release from before it sold out all the time, you could also buy snacks and drink to take with you. Renting movies used to be such a complicated event. That you, there was a good chance you wouldn't even get the movie you wanted. There was a very yeah. good chance. <laughs> it was like how I am when I see like new release movies. Like I usually go Friday, Saturday, depending on my work schedule. It was like that essentially for fucking renting movies. You got to like be like, all right, on Friday, when everyone's home from work, we're all in the house, we're gonna hop in this car, we'll go to the blockbuster, we'll get this goddamn movie. Okay, it's a new release movie. You gotta get it for us out. Like you had to make it a thing to go to fucking blockbuster. <laughs> My mom gave such a shit about the late fees. She didn't like, she was like, I'm just going to buy the movie. And if I don't like it, fuck it. <laughs> like that was my mom's like mentality. And she has honestly with Netflix and prime and Hulu and everything we've got, she has not abandoned that mentality. <laughs> She's still very much, except now it's just, let's buy it on streaming. And if we don't like it, fuck it. <laughs> my mom doesn't rent shit. <laughs> I mean, Look, in, in, in these people's defense, those late fees were fucking troublesome. There was one time when I was a kid. <laughs> so when I was a kid, I liked to keep things organized. I liked to just, you know, if, every, if stuff was dirty, I was like, oh, I want to put that up. And my mom had rented a, a tape from Blockbuster. And me being all, you know, oh, this needs to be with the movies, went and put it in the shelf. And my mom who didn't see the blockbuster movie out and about just assumed she'd returned it and forgotten about it. 
weeks went by <laughs> and she found it on the shelf and had like a oh, like a panic attack moment and then we ended up owing like 120 150 bucks or some crazy number and she i got side eye like i'd never gotten before i felt i i didn't i still didn't quite get what i'd done wrong but you, i knew I'd, I'd really upset my mom you know how like there's certain board games that you just don't play with family because it will make an enemy out of you out of each other yeah that was the blockbuster late feast that could make an enemy out of the bestest of friends the closest of family members like you didn't fuck around with those late fees because blockbuster man the moment you went inside and you forgot that one goddamn movie and you got it like a stack of like two or three like oh shit go me a good weekend hey we can't rent you this why not you didn't return this movie it was about two hundred dollars in late fees what <laughs> sure brought gladiator back you asshole <laughs> 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 oh god ding dong the witch is dead i'm so i'm so happy it's yeah netflix changed everything and god, late, late fees man was such a crazy concept like just yeah you can rent this movie for 10 bucks but if you don't bring it back next week you owe us like your firstborn child <laughs> what the fuck and we were all just like that's fair <laughs> It's like it's and then it's like GameStop looked at that and went, I think I know how we can do trade-ins, guys. I think we oh. got <laughs> they buy it for a lot and we give them jack shit and they trade it in. It'll be perfect. Oh my god. <laughs> Except one is still in business. I'll let you guys figure out which one it is. Not for long. <laughs> Their days are fucking numbered. Well, they're trying to restructure, so we'll see. People, yeah, like, don't buy, people don't really buy video games that way anymore. Well, some people do. Like, I don't, because I'm never going to pay that much for a video game. Oh, see, I do. Yeah, I'm going to wait. And all the, shop, all the shit I want is old, like, stuff I can get at half-price books or Amazon. Or I'm never going to go to GameStop. I go there for Funko Pops. That's the or, only. All the retro yeah. video game stores that exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I go there sometimes. They just, their stock never fucking changes. Because people need to trade in stuff for them to have new stuff. So it's always the same shit. It's a good idea in theory. Like, I I like the idea of retro. But, yeah, if it's like no one trades it in, you're going to see the same stock for fucking months. Yeah. Because no one wants to trade in that that shit. Because that's like, no, that's vintage. It's valuable. Yeah, it's vintage. Well, anyway, thank God for Netflix, even though we we piss on them a lot. (laughs) They do. They did change the landscape, and we do owe them a lot entertainment-wise. Yes, and you know, they like to piss on the grave of their enemies whenever they have the chance. Yeah, oh, my God. What a, what a fucking alpha power move. <laughs> but they didn't need to prove. No one needed to prove anything. They are just like, it's like they were bored. They're like, you guys just want to like rub it in Blockbuster's face that there's only one left? Yeah, sure. I would love if they bought the place and turned it into like a Netflix rental store. <laughs> they only, they sell all their like um, original movies and TV shows there. Like that's it. It's just all Netflix original shit, but physical media just to. <laughs> no late fees, but you, they still sell 
the fucking bad cotton candy and the popcorn buckets. <laughs> and like t-shirts, like red t-shirts that say like, at least it's not Blockbuster <laughs> or something like that. Just hammer it home. They had a video game section for no reason just to have it. There's a section, but there's there's no fucking games. <laughs> Sorry, it's like the PlayStation and Xbox. It's hard to get one these days. <laughs> oh my god. Did you hear about that by the way? What now? Expect, you hear about that by the way? Expect a shortage up to September-ish of next year. Anyone wanting a PlayStation 5 or Xbox, good fucking luck. I I don't care. I'm not spending that kind of money on a system that I'm yeah, it's just not worth it. Not not to me. I don't have I don't have the zeal I used to have for video games. Yeah, I've got a lot of you you're on this show. You know I have a lot of shit to deal with. That's true. Honestly, like I haven't been able to play mine as much. Oh, uh, Rory, back into it. <laughs> um, Hong Kong superstar Tony Leung plays Wen Wu, the true Mandarin. Uh, Leung has been in such classics as Hard Boiled, Infernal Affairs, The Grandmaster, and Red Cliff. This dude is Hong Kong film royalty. And the fact that he is here is fucking amazing. When I heard he was going to be the, the real Mandarin, I lost my shit and he delivered. He is the best part of this movie. Dude, okay, so I did not know he was a film royalty over in Hong Kong. That's even more impressive. So let me look, let me just say this right now. Hands down, the three things I'm going to say statements that apply to me only with this film. Like I said already, best action, some of the best action scenes, if not the best, I've seen them to you today. Okay. Hands down, becoming quickly one of my favorite films. We're talking, it's getting close to top five material. I really fucking like this movie. I liked it a lot. And now for the third one, and it's with this guy. Again, one of their best fucking villains that they've ever done. Because one, his, his writing, the writing for his character is great, but the dude's performance is out of this world good. I mean, for once, it's not this power-hungry, want to destroy the world villain. He has nuance. He has human emotions. He's complex. He's complicated. I fucking loved him in this movie. Well, there's a reason for that. Um, he was talking about his performance, and he said that he didn't see the Mandarin as a bad guy. He played him as the hero of his own story, which was perfect. And you can see that. You can see that this is, you know, if you look at this film from a certain point of view, it's about a man who thought he could give up a thousand years of being a warlord because he found love, and then losing that love <laughs> drove him further down the road of hatred than he'd ever been. And that's, that's great. You know, I, I, I like that. The character smart and also reinventing the Mandarin, fixing that fuck up. Yes, which now makes me like Iron Man 3 actually more. Because I actually yeah. really look, I'll say it. I actually liked Iron Man 3 up until that twist. Everything for that I yeah. was really down for. I thought Shane Black did great. And then that twist happened. I was like, uh mm-hmm. after this movie, that's been solved. Like yeah. big time. And for another reason that I'll wait till we you say his name and the I'm sure he's on your character list or your cast list. Um, but Ben Kingsley, I'm sure he's on your cast list. I'll bring him up a little bit later. But just talking about you know, uh, Winru here, he, he's a big reason he does this so well. 
he's just fucking perfect. He completely, and like you said, he makes him where he is the good guy in his story. He is the hero in his story. And that to me is like the, that that's some of the best villains when it comes to the superhero tells is the ones that think they're doing it for the right reasons. This is why someone like Killmonger has become so iconic in the MCU. Cause in his eyes, he was doing this for a just cause. And same here. You're like, this isn't, like I said, he's not trying to seek world domination. He's a man that did put it away for love and had a family and seemed genuinely happy. But then that got taken away from him because his path caught up. And then he goes, like you said, he goes down that hate even more. Yeah. Well, that's all he's seeing. And he's just driven by hate and grief throughout the whole movie. It, I could, I just, I fucking loved the, this villain. And this is what I'm talking about, man. MCU, why can't I get this more often? Like, if there's one nagging thing I do have with MCU, it's their villains on always the greatest. And it's getting to the point that when they have great ones like this, they just stand out even more because of it. Yeah, I agree. I want more villains like this. I want more complex characters. Uh, it's great. His op- his introduction in like ancient China as fucking pretty much Genghis Khan with the ten- with the ten rings. The way he fucked up that villa- that that temple. The whole like the way he uses the rings is so cool. It was yeah, such a that- neat fighting style. They. You know, and again, that goes back to like how we like the fighting scenes, like that martial arts. They utilize the rings with it, and it looks fucking awesome. My favorite scene was when they they uh, put in the trail of when it comes to like him and action. Actually, was when they had a little bit of it in the trailer, and you actually saw the full thing in the movie. But after you know his wife is murdered, and he takes his son to the the hideout, and you see in the reflection him just fucking them up. Well, then to say to tell his like eight year old kid, like these people killed your mother. Will you help me stop them? And the kid's just like, okay, (laughs) what else do I say to this man? And then to find out later during the climactic fight scene, like, you know, he he blames him for it when he said, like, you could have stopped it. It's like, dude, your kid was eight. What could he have done? They would have killed him, too. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> wild um i love the explanation behind when he brought up that some american terrorists tried to usurp his name and you know didn't know what it was so made up a new one in the mandarin and yeah. made america afraid of a chicken dish <laughs> yeah <laughs> what a great way to reclaim that yeah it, it it reclaims it from not just the movie but the character i mean like and i like we kind of alluded to earlier you know, one of the things with Shang-Chi and when it came out as a comic, obviously, unfortunately, it had a lot of racist stereotypes. Yeah. So for them to just not only reclaim it movie-wise from Iron Man 3, but just from the comics history in general was awesome to say, like, yeah, we're taking the Mandarin. It's ours. He is our villain. Yeah, this was, I think, uh, yeah, Shang-Chi is the first Asian-American mainstream superhero. Which is, it's awesome that there is there is one for that community. Mm-hmm. Fucking crazy! It took this long. Yeah, it uh, it's fucking crazy. And I I want to talk about the representation in here in a little bit, but like I think what also to me like really you know this film is very sincere 
in his representation. Very extraordinarily sincere. It is steeped in, I want to say Shang-Chi is Chinese, I believe. Okay. I don't yeah. want to really try not to fuck this up. But, uh, you know, he's he's very, they're, they're steeped in that and they embrace it. And they approach it with such a sincerity and just a wonder that it's like, this is why people were demanding diversity in Hollywood. Because if you approach it right, it's just as exciting. Just as much fun to watch. I didn't care that, oh, it's, I didn't sit there going, that movie going, oh, he's not a white superhero. I went there going, no, I want to know more. So I was, I was curious. I was like, no, give me more. I'm like really into this mythology, this folklore. I want to know, you know, give me more. Like I, I want a sequel. I want to know more. Yeah. Same here. I can't imagine. Like, I don't, it, it's definitely happened. You know, there are fuckers out there. It's like, this guy's not white. I'm not seeing it, which is fucking sick. But I love that the, um, we have a, you know, more diversified cast of characters, you know, with Black Panther and now Shang-Chi. There's so many different cultures represented in the MCU and you can build, you kind of play, you know, build your team however you want now at this point. It's, yeah. it's fucking great. Yeah. And just like, you know, and Black Panther did the same thing, right? It approached, you know, what it wanted with sincerity, with complete immersion of that culture and it worked. Like, it's amazing when you just, you approach this thing like any other film you would make how much the audience will respond because ultimately yes like you said there's assholes out there that won't watch it will make their comments but they're few and far between the majority of people who go to see these movies don't care they just want a good movie yeah i'm that same way i don't care where the movie comes from what country what nationality who makes it all i want is a good experience yeah i always put that honestly outside of american films my second favorite market is the asian market there's a lot of Asian films I love. They fucking kill it. Yeah. Have you ever seen Hard Boiled? I haven't seen that one. I need to watch that one. I, I recommend, hearing... like, John Woo is a filmmaker you would fucking adore. I mean, I, I need to watch John Woo. I keep meaning to. He's, the, yeah, he, like, some of his American films, like, he did Face Off, which was fucking great. Off. Um, I recommend a good double feature is Hard Boiled and The Killer. Those are two fucking amazing movies like really just balls to the wall action you know chow yun fat versus the fucking triads and it's oh my god <laughs> so much okay. fun I, you, i've been meaning to watch uh, john woo for a while I, I really like his style in the american films of his i've seen and i know he has like a lot of classics like fun boiled and the killers and yeah I'll, I'll definitely be checking them out the killer may end up being a a, a, a pick on uh on filmgasm in the next few months i've been thinking about that movie a lot i'd love to revisit it oh yeah i'll definitely watch it so i can be on the uh, episode finally okay. give the movie <laughs> um menger zhang plays jai ling uh shang's sister and this is her first ever film she's never been in anything else she was good i didn't yeah. know that. i thought she was established actress because she was very good this is the one imdb imdb credit she has god damn good for her I, I sincerely hope for a long and fruitful career now. I know, right? Like, I was fucking stunned. Like, no TV bit parts, no, like, nothing in the, you know, Chinese market. Just this. Like, it was a blind, I think it was like, a you know, an audition. And she got the role. Uh, you know, that's, it's crazy to think you're getting to a point where your first film can be an MCU movie. Yeah, because a lot of these filmmakers treat it like a small production. And that's great. That's I think that's why these have such a, 
great quality to them because yeah, they're mostly producer driven in terms of like the direction of the ongoing story, but every individual chapter is mostly, you know, independent filmmakers who are given a chance to do something huge. Yeah. And that you can feel that care and attentiveness in each one of these movies. And that's fucking great. (laughs) Something that I think they actually really started big time with, with the Captain America and uh, the second one, Winter Soldier, Mm -hmm. the Russo brothers, because they were known for only community at that time. And then they fucking blew up. And yeah, ever since Marvel's been doing that, I love it. And, you know, that's why I'm like, you know, I mentioned it with the franchise. Like, yes, obviously the producers, you know, Faye stepping in to make sure that like the overall storyline is flowing, that it's very much like an MCU film. But they still do a really good job of letting the directors do what they want. That to the point that usually when I hear like the director steps out, like Edgar Wright or um, the one that was supposed to do Doctor Strange 2, I'm forgetting his name, Scott Derrickson. Yeah. Um, when they leave, sometimes I tell them go with, maybe they're i don't really go like oh well, maybe you know they just kind of agree or marvel's being pushy they just that director's a very individualistic director he probably just wasn't able to play ball yeah That's at this point you got to play ball there there is a narrative stretch you know they've got shit planned out for 10 plus years they need all of it to work to lead to the next spot and if you're not willing to be a part of that they'll find someone who will yeah. So, and I, I don't mean that like this. So, like, I'm not insulting Edgar Wright. I fucking love Edgar Wright. Yeah. But he very much has his style. He probably was wanting to only do his style. And I was like, look, we get it, but you can't do that for him, man. We have to be able to make an MC movie ultimately. Yep. That's why Joss Whedon left. Uh, you know, Age of Ultron soured the experience because they wanted to make this, you know, have this lead into the Infinity War and other stuff. And he was like, I'd like, I want this to be contained. And Thank God, because then the Russos got Infinity War and Endgame, and holy shit, did they knock that out of the park? <laughs> yeah, I'm like, yeah, I'm like, and don't. Sometimes I'm like, I part of me is to make some like you can't play ball because like you look at Taika Waititi and um, the Russo brothers. I'm like, they play ball and they make movies that are both very good Marvel movies, but still have their stamp on it. Yeah, like Thor Ragnarok very much feels like a you know a crucial piece of the MCU, but also definitely feels like a Taika movie. Exactly, yeah. And I'm sure as the director for kind of going uh, back to Shang-Chi, you know, this director, when I looked it up, you know, he doesn't have a lot of credits on his name. He's very indie, but I'm sure, like, his style for his, I think, two or three films he did is probably evident here and somewhere. And I'm sure we'll see it more as he gets more sucks. I, I'm sure this fucking blew the doors open for him. Yeah, exactly. Uh, um, a couple more cast members to talk about. Uh, Florian Muntinu plays Razor Fist, Wen Wu's right-hand man. <laughs> um, he played Victor Drago in Creed 2 and is set to appear in Eli Roth's Borderlands movie. So, <laughs> Sorry, I'm really excited for Eli Roth's Borderlands movie. Yeah, he's... Uh, I, knew, like, I, I knew that face. I was like, I've seen this guy. And then it was like, oh yeah, Creed 2. He was, he was Drago. Yeah, and... God, he's gonna be great in Borderlands because I've I played the third Borderlands game and I have the first two for my Switch. Um, but I've seen of uh Krieg, Krieger, I forget how you say his name. Uh he fits the bill. He'll be able to looks wise do it. So nice. Uh yeah, I love the his fights with Shang-Chi were great. The bit at the end when all the demons come out and he's like, We should work together <laughs> after they fuck up that one ninja guy. I- I was dying. He's like, no, we will take enslave you all, blah, blah, blah. And then like the dude gets taken. He's like, 
All right, yeah, let's let's work together. Yep. Untie them. Untie them. <laughs> <laughs> and that was cool too, just seeing like the the warriors of uh, this place and the ten rings working together to kill a bunch of demons. Like the well, fuck. And he got uh, the sword upgrade. Mary Sam like gave himself the sword upgrade. I'm like, oh yeah. Ah, <laughs> oh. um, Michelle Yeoh plays Ying Nan, Shang's aunt. Uh, Yao has had a hell of a cool career, appearing in Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Crazy Rich Asians, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, so she's already been in the MCU, uh, Memoirs of a Geisha, and Tomorrow Never Dies. She's also been a Bond girl. <laughs> so yeah. she's been everywhere. Yes, and because I've been watching it very recently, just finished the first season, she's in Star Trek Discovery. There you go. She's really good in that. She plays two different characters. Well, two versions of the same character. I'll say that much. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. She's one of the few Bond girls who could stand, you know, equal with Bond and, you know, kick his ass. And she didn't have a super sexist, you know, name like Pussy Galore or Holly Goodhead. <laughs> she was Wei Lin, Chinese Secret Service agent who was there to, you know, fuck or, up Jonathan Price. You know, or a name that lends itself to... A joke like uh, Christmas Jones, whatever her name was, and her Christmas only comes once a year. I love the Bond franchise, but fuck, it makes they make it hard sometimes. <laughs> yeah, uh. It's, uh, that's a you know it's funny that that's a series I would be willing to show anyone up to like nowadays climate. Now I'd be like, hey, look. I don't want you yelling at me because I like these movies. Like, just so you know, some of these females' names are really, like, not okay. And he says some comments to them. And if you're watching the Sean Connery ones, it's a guarantee he's going to hit them at least once. Yeah, or in a few cases, uh, rape them. That happens a lot more than you'd think for a hero. I would. He's gone. (laughs) Yeah, a part of me almost would leave that like a secret. So then, if I'm like showing someone that, they'd be like, "Okay, he won't sleep with her. She's a lesbian." I'm just gonna look at him like, "No, no." Yeah, it's it's tough, but yeah. overall, I think the franchise is more positive than negative, and you got to take it a film at a time and just kind of you know grab what like, take away what whatever you can from in, it. Just like look, you know, in all fairness, it's endured for over fifty years. It's still going because they're looking for someone to, you know, take over the role now that Daniel Craig is actually stepping down. Yeah. Um, and if you do, like, watch and you see the various actors in the decades, it started, what, 64? Two. 62. 62. Sorry, 62. Um, you can see it does try to change with the time. So I'm not, you know, yes, it obviously what they put in the 60s one is not okay today. But it was then, and in their defense, like as the decades have come on, they try to do they do try to be PC with the times. It, so I'm not I'm not I'm just saying like yeah they try, but unfortunately they could get away with things that obviously are not okay with, or you know now. I've been thinking a lot of actors who I think would be good successors to Daniel Craig, and the actor I arrived to earlier today actually was Richard Madden. Oh, you know what? Now that I've heard his accent in the Eternals trailer, I can see that. Yeah, like, but I would love if they actually set a, like a reboot of the franchise in the '60s again. That'd be awesome. You know, if he didn't have commitments to The Witcher, 
I was a big yeah. pro Henry Cavill one. I was like, dude, if anyone can do it, that just exudes class. Yeah. And like that fucking and after seeing you know Mission Impossible, like that badass miss needed, we can, we you know, only he can cock his fucking arms like a shotgun. <laughs> <laughs> he yeah. can do it, but you know, he to his credit, you know, I'm not going to blame him for it because you know, Tenson Ackles and Pat, like he were the same way with Supernatural. He's very committed to Witcher and I Good from that because I wasn't really good on Netflix. So, well, and he's had his taste of big franchises, and I don't think that you know he was treated all that well at Warner Brothers when he was Superman. So that he's got a bad taste in his mouth, probably. And The Witcher allows him to do something he's really passionate about and gets to be creative. So I, I get it. Uh, yeah, I understand. But he would have been such a fucking great James Bond. <laughs> oh my god, yes. I think if they did want to be different, I could. I know Idris Elba's name's gone tossed around a lot. I could actually see him do it. He's already turned it down. He said he doesn't want to be known as the first black James Bond. So, uh, that, I, yeah. I get it. But I'm sure that whoever succeeds, Daniel Craig, will be exciting. And we'll get all sorts of shit until the movie actually comes out. Um, and finally, Ben Kingsley. Oscar winner Ben Kingsley returns as Trevor Slattery, shitty actor and ex-accidental terrorist. Um, he won his Oscar uh, for his performance in 1982's Gandhi, was then nominated again for Bugsy, Sexy Beast, and House of Sand and Fog. And he was the worst thing that had happened to the MCU until now. Now I kind of, I'm okay with, with Iron Man 3, like you said. Retroactively, better movie. And his role in this is fucking goofy as hell. Yes, and this, and um, when I said there's like, I mean, like, there's two reasons why it makes it better. One, obviously, we talked about already, when we, dear God, this is the second reason. How they, you know, obviously, we had the line, and, you know, they fixed the villain itself. But then they were even smart enough to bring back Ben Kingsley, who was very willing to come back from what I heard. Like, he was actually quite excited. Um, And they fixed his actual character in the movie. Like, I actually really liked him in this movie. Yeah. And it was because of that and how they really worked on fixing him and redeeming him. So, you know, they were like, hey, okay, we got to redeem the Mandarin villain, but we also, we do want to redeem this character because let's not waste, especially when you got someone like Ben Kingsley, let's not waste this character. Um, so the fact that they were able to fix both, yeah, it it makes me really actually kind of want to rewatch Iron Man 3 now. Well, I love that eight years on, Marvel's still thinking about that. Like, you know, we have an opportunity here to right a wrong. Let's take it. That's That's great. And Ben Kingsley was probably happy to, you know, get to <laughs> no longer be, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe punchline. <laughs> yeah. And he, yeah, like I said, he is so, he is funny as hell in this movie. I was dying when the little creature went up to his, like, what you thought was dead body. And you're like, oh, and I remember even the audience, you can see the audience. I remember hearing it. Everyone else just went, oh, he wakes up and goes, Oh, what are you doing? I'm 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 just playing dead. It's like cool off, mate. I'm I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> <laughs> when we were, well, I went and saw this with my mom, and uh, the scene where they first get to, uh, I think it was Talo. Yeah. Um, and that weird creature walks in front of the car, and he goes, "That's a weird horse. Why, why is he looking at me like that?" <laughs> my mom couldn't breathe. She was laughing so hard. I don't know why, but I was like, are you all right? She's like, that was so funny. 
<laughs> Kingsley, to his credit, sells the just inept, washed-up actor role in this so fucking well. He's in his own little world. He never seems to realize how much fucking danger he's in in any situation. He gets, you know, captured by terrorists, captured by even worse terrorists, labeled an international threat, and he's all just like, eh, whatever. I like, <laughs> didn't seem to realize it. I liked when they're in the call waiting for the, the branches to open to let them in, and he goes on about why he got into acting. And you're like, wait, you got into acting because you thought a monkey <laughs> was, was actually riding a horse, but but it wasn't. I, I know I still can't wrap my head around it. <laughs> oh my god, I could... Uh, just, Oh my god, that was so good. I, I love how the village just accepted him. He just became part of the team and then became a part of the village and no one asked any questions. <laughs> yeah, I think they just sensed that this dude had no place else to go. <laughs> I like when the, the kids are playing. He's like, oh, sorry, sorry, you went out of bounds. Out of bounds, sorry. <laughs> and I told myself, if that monkey can do it, so can I. Like, he wasn't really riding the horse. He was acting like he was riding the horse. <laughs> Goddamn. <laughs> that explained so much about this guy. It was, oh, it was so good. Oh, yeah. I'm glad they brought him back. And I do want to rewatch Iron Man 3. I think my score is going to go up now. It's going to be a better movie, which is, that's great. I love that Marvel can do that. Or is even willing to do that. Yeah, I love that Marvel was willing to do it. Sorry. Got <coughs> a cough there. Marvel was willing to do it. That Ben Kingsley seemed extraordinarily game to do it and gave it his all. Like I said, I think he was right behind Aquafina in making me laugh. Like he was so fucking good in this movie. The wig made me laugh more than anything. <laughs> He's got fucking Aragorn hair for some reason. It's never addressed. He just has. Oh my god. Like when that creature came out, he's like the only one that can understand it. What did he call it? Like Benjamin or something? Benji. Benji. Was it Benji? I think it was Benji. Oh my god. That's that was great. Um I'm trying to find so the um that beast that comes out of the um the wall at the end. I was fully expect. I was I was wondering like, are we about to meet a big bad in the MCU? Well, uh, I was about to say Galactus. Uh, <laughs> that would have been fucking crazy. Wouldn't have made any sense. But I would have been like, all right, sure, Galactus is here. But um, I was thinking like, it's got to be Fin Fang Foom, right? The the big uh, dragon. <coughs> Ooh. I I thought so too, but they didn't call either dragon Fin. Uh, fin Fang Foom. Like they did not call that. So I wonder if one, they're just not doing that character, or they're saving it. Well, I looked it up, and apparently the the dark creature that comes out is not Fin Fang Foom. It's the Dweller in Darkness, one of the fear gods of the MCU. So oh, that again lines up with stuff we're getting with Doctor Strange. Exactly. His brother is Nightmare, who is a full-blown Doctor Strange villain that is very, like, everyone seems to think is going to be the bad guy of part two. Is, is it me, or is Doctor Strange going to be the, you know, Loki was the show that blew open the doors for this phase in the MCU. 
Yeah. Is Doctor Strange going to be in the movie that blows open the doors? I mean, if Spider-Man doesn't do it first. <laughs> but even then, it seems like Spider-Man is really servicing Doctor Strange too. True. Yeah, I think everything keeps coming back to Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. WandaVision, yeah. Loki, Spider-Man, and now Shang-Chi possibly all seem to be pointing to that movie. So I think that movie is going to be fucking bonkers and really change the game. And just to think the guy directing all that madness is Sam fucking Raimi. Oh my God. You know what I would love if it ends up being like some variant of Kang who's behind all this, but it's not Jonathan majors. This one is Bruce Campbell. I, I just, I want him to have a substantial role. I know it probably won't. It'll be a fleeting cameo, but I, I want him to be involved heavily. I know. <laughs> I would. I was hoping, like, I kind of hated that he April Fool's us with the, the script that said it would have been an Evil Dead reference. I was like, God damn it, that would have been awesome. But I'll take <laughs> it. Um, you think they let Sam Raimi, like, on set of Spider-Man, the new one, to kind of discuss with him, like, Goblin and Doc Ock and maybe or maybe not Tully McGuire Spider-Man? I think it would be silly if you're going to bring Sam Raimi into the MCU at the same time you're doing a massive Spider-Man multiverse movie and not have him have a little consultation. Sure. <laughs> um, Jesus, I'm so excited. This is real. <laughs> These are real movies that are happening to, for us. This is amazing. <laughs> this isn't some fanboy's wet dream anymore. This is a real thing that's happening. <laughs> Now, Foggy had his fanboy rep dreams and went, I'm going to make it a reality. He was like the fanboy that had the rep dream, but then went a step further and said, like, how can I make this actually happen for the rest of the fanboys out there? Ew. Um, so Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings has an IMDb score of 8.1, Rotten Tomatoes score of 92%. It's grossed about $139 million so far on a $150 million budget. It's doing just fine. Uh, it's only been out for what three days? Yep, <laughs> on an extended Labor Day weekend because it technically still has Monday to look forward to. Beautiful. Critics and fans are praising it as one of Marvel's most exciting movies yet, and they are not wrong. Yeah, uh, yeah. I I think I said in my video, you know, like Black Widow, like it was good, but it just again, it felt like it was too little, too late. Yeah, like it just came out way too late. This felt like an actual bust open the doors. This is the phase four you've been waiting for movie. Like that's what this felt like. Well, like black Panther and guardians of the galaxy, this felt like it was peeling back another layer of this vast world. And now we get a little bit more, you know, magic in the MCU. This felt like the real phase four opener. Yes. And that, that's what I'm saying. Like this felt like this is what we showed you on first for a phase four movie. Yeah. But, this and this is why I told people, like, you know, yes, I look forward to, like, um, you know, the, obviously the sequels like Spider Man, uh, No Way Home, yeah, No Way Home. Um, but I really look forward to these new movies like this one and Shang-Chi, the upcoming Eternals, because we haven't seen that in the MCU yet. That's technically a brand fresh new thing for the MCU, right there. And it's yeah. always exciting to watch them and what they are going to bring to the table. and how they play and what layer they're going to peel. Like, yeah, it's always exciting for me. And so, yeah, the fact that this one delivered so much was awesome. My God. All right. I just confirmed something. Okay. So I want to talk about the post credit scene. Um, 
where Wong is investigating the Ten Rings. These rings that were found a thousand years ago, but predate, like, go back a lot further than that. And nobody seems to know what these things are. Only that they grant the youth, whoever wears them, eternal life and are incredibly powerful. And I think they are leading directly into Eternals. These things are their powers. Because I looked on the poster, there's fucking 10 of these guys. Oh, and yeah, they do. They, it did say they predate human history somehow. They've been around much longer than humans. They create, they came here, they left behind the 10 rings when Wu found them. So I think the 10 rings are going to play a part in Eternals. Right, because they talk about like the, the deviants, and that's why apparently they have to get called back to action. Those, yep. So I wonder if what happened in the events of this one with that tracking in and out and the rings yeah. the and stuff, and then like that weird like pulse signal they showed at the end has to do. What if the reason Shang-Chi was able to destroy that thing with the 10 rings is because that thing was a deviant? Do you think like many of the rings give you the powers of an eternal? Maybe if you have all 10 of them. <laughs> Holy shit. Have we stumbled onto something here? Maybe. I don't know. I just maybe. feel like there's a connection. You won't know until November, but maybe. Yeah. <laughs> I'm definitely more excited about Eternals. That's for damn sure. Yeah. I That was one, dude, that it took me a while. Like that first teaser, I was like, okay. But the trend, they played it before Shang-Chi. Um, that second one, I stand by, like really sold me. Same. Really, yeah, really excited for Eternals now. It looks like probably the most beautiful fucking MCU film as far as like their cinematography goes to date. Oh, my other trailer I had was Dune. That's what it was. Oh, they did a new one? Yeah, so there you go. Um, but um, yeah, Shang-Chi was, was badass. Anything else you want to spotlight from that? Not that I can think of, just uh, hopefully other studios. Um, I know we talked about with Candyman, and yes, I know, obviously, we hope that studios look at what made that successful and give more people with that unique voice chances to work. You know, they're probably realistically just going to make us fucking sequel, knowing Hollywood. Um, hopefully, they do the same thing with Shang-Chi. They see that, like, look, people do not care who your lead is who is directing this film, who your cast characters are, what your story is about, as long as it's a good fucking story with good characters. And we get, you know, this paves the way for more uh, films like this. And also, I'm just a big fan of, like, the Chinese folklore stuff, so I'm always down to watch these movies. Same. Um, I give this film an eight. Probably go up in repeated viewings. Um, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, I, I put it at eight now, but it, it honestly might go up to a nine very soon. I mean, this is... I haven't been like walked away this impressed from an MCU film probably since uh, Endgame, honestly. Mm, it's high praise. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. This was this was awesome. Definitely go see this one. Um, it's a fun time at the movies. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. Next week we get to dig into a brand new James Wan horror film with *Malignant*, which hits theaters and HBO Max on Friday. Uh, we've been anticipating this one big time. Uh, we're James Wan super fans, and this looks creepy as shit, and I'm excited. Um, we also get the crime comedy Queen Pins in theaters, action thriller Kate on Netflix, 
the play adaptation, small engine repair in theaters and Paul Schrader's the card counter in theaters. Uh, so we'll pick and choose whatever has decent reviews and get back to you next week. That's kind of how we're handling it now. There's too many movies and a lot of them suck. <laughs> yeah. I'm mostly focused on malignant. I've been dying to see James Bond make his quick return to horror before he gives us Aquaman too. Yeah. Same. Also, be sure to check out Pitch Black on Wednesday's Filmgasm podcast and the Scorsese classic Taxi Driver on Oscar Sunday. Going to be a good week. Have a great one and keep watching movies.